This is the Ed Marlin Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Today, we are going to talk the economy. And we're going to take a look at what I'd call the conservative perspective on it. And then next week, we're going to talk the economy and have a more liberal or Democrat perspective. And I have, I think, the best person on earth to discuss the economy from this perspective. The gentleman to my right is Stephen Moore. Stephen uh, was an economic advisor to President Trump's 2016 campaign. He was just nominated by President Trump recently uh, to be a member of the Federal Reserve and uh, was also the uh, chief economic writer for the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, for 10 years. For 10 years, so this is a perfect time. I'm really grateful you took the time, Steve. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve. Great house home you have. Thank you, thank you, and you're welcome here, as I told you, anytime you wanna be here. Okay, so, why do you think, let's get right into it. Why do you think there's a perception um, that the economy isn't working for everybody? That most people think this economy, capitalism in general, right now isn't working for the vast majority of people. Is that, is that a f- false belief and why do you think people well, think that? Well, I actually would even challenge the question. I think people feel pretty good about the, the economy right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the statistics show you know, about 60 to 65% of Americans feel like the economy is either good or great. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty good number. But do they think that economy is good or great for them? Yeah, they do. I mean, we're seeing nice income gains. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think things are pretty good. I mean, think about this. Ed. We've got the lowest unemployment rate in the mm-hmm. United States in 50 years. Mm-hmm. We've got the lowest inflation rate in 50 years. Mm-hmm. We've got the lowest interest rates in 50 years. Mm-hmm. We've got the biggest wage gains in 20 years. We have, one of the statistics I love to use mm-hmm. is 7.1 million. You know what that number no. is? That is the number of unfilled jobs in the United States. 7.1 right. million? Unfilled. That's larger than the entire population in the state of Indiana. That's how many surplus jobs there are. Mm. So if you're a worker looking for a job, Mm. and you have a skill you know, that right. actually employers want, right. you can find a job. This is probably the best job market in, in 50 years. Now, whether we can sustain this, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what the future will bring. But right now, this is a pretty damn good economy. It really right. is. And now, our growth rate isn't quite where we'd like it to be. It's fallen down. You know, yep. we wanted to, Larry Kudlow and I wanted to get to 3 to 4%. Trump and I said, I want 5 I Right, want 5%. right, exactly. But, you know, so we're now growing at 2 to 2.5%, which is decent. Uh, you know, I think the China situation is has been a problem you know, for Trump in terms of trying to get that trade situation resolved. But no, I'm gonna say it's a pretty darn healthy economy. Right. I think that, well, I could tell you, and by the way, I'm not gonna tip my own hand on what I believe that I'm gonna challenge things from both good. you and Austin. Right, good. And you know, I could tell you that when I see this recent advent, this drive for socialism, yeah. or what I'd call a real modification of capitalism, um, I think that's driven out of a sentiment. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I, think, I think most people think, hey, the economy is going well. Um, obviously, unemployment's lower. African American unemployment's lower mm-hmm. than it's ever been. Latino yeah, unemployment. Yeah, right. Latino wages are higher than right. they've ever been. Asian wages higher than they've ever been. Um, and so I think people see that, but I don't think most people feel like that they're benefiting, that they're growing from it. So I, we disagree about that. And the, my proof of that is this advent of a massive shift to some extent. In some, peop- in some circles, particularly Democrat circles, for a more socialist type economy, a more redistribution so, type economy. I, you know, I'm gonna challenge you again on that yep. one, because yep. I think my view is, because we do have prosperity now, mm-hmm. people feel, you know, look, this is, this, the recession ended in June of 2009. Mm-hmm. This is October of 2019. So this has been a long, yes. it hasn't been the most powerful mm-hmm. expansion, but it's been a long one. Mm-hmm. And my feeling about this is, people are kind of taking prosperity for granted right now. They think, oh, this is just the natural course of things for things to grow. Yes. And when people get you know, better off, then, they, then they're willing to say, oh, well, let's 
give stuff away for free and, and mm -hmm. you know, move towards a more socialistic model. I think it's almost a symptom of the fact that things are going well, that people are starting to say, oh, let's have free healthcare, let's have free college tuition, let's have the, you know, my patron saint economist, I don't know who yours is, right. was Milton Friedman. Right. And I, did you know Milton? I, I know who he is, of yeah. course, I've read well, his I, I was fortunate enough to know Milton pretty well, especially at the end of his mm -hmm. life. And, and I consider him the greatest economist of the last 200 years since Adam Smith. Right. And you know, Milton used to say to me, uh, Steve, he said, you know, the, what was the most important enduring lesson of the 20th century? And, you know, he would answer his own question and say, it's, it's that free market capitalism is a success mm -hmm. and communism, socialism, Maoism, Stalinism, Nazism, all these massive government control models are failures, mm -hmm. right? And, and then he would forlornly say to me, you know, yet the lesson we seem to have learned from all this is we need more socialism, you know? Right. And I don't get it, you know? Right. Socialism is a failure almost everywhere it has been tried. And so I, I shudder to think we're gonna move in that, wrong, that direction because I just think it's so wrong. And the other thing that I'm really concerned about is the war against uh, wealth and the war against success mm -hmm. and the war against anyone you know, you, you've made it, you're, you're, uh, you know, you've, you've built a business, you're mm -hmm. successful, you've, you've experienced the American dream. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with that? Right. I mean, people think like, people like you are villains because sure. you're successful. Right. I mean, listen to the rhetoric out of an Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's pernicious, frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, John F. Kennedy, who was a Democrat, used to say, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, and that's what we want. We want to be an aspirational country. Uh, I don't hear a lot of aspiration from uh, the politicians these days. I don't, on either side, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and, and exactly. I think you'd agree with that. I, um, the reason I wanted you on, and the reason I want people listening to this is, I think politics has become this debate of who's good and who's bad. President Clinton actually had a great quote one time, I don't know that he really believed it or not, but he said, politics shouldn't be about, about who's good and bad, but who's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And we demonize each other, which I think creates these extremes in both sides of the party. And I want people listening to this today, because there's half my audience agrees with everything you say. The other half, how about today, and I'm gonna do this with Austin too for the conservatives, just listen to what they have to say. Yeah. Let's hear their perspective. So I wanna, I wanna By the way, it's so funny you should say that. I, mm. I was just doing an interview the other day and I said exactly the same thing. The mm. biggest thing, I think, the troubling thing I see in America today is people are um, hanging out with only people who agree with them, yeah. right? And you know, I may disagree with you, but mm. I don't think you're evil. <laughs> right. I mean, and I don't disagree with you, right. but I mean, I the mean. idea that somehow you, because you disagree with something, someone, you find them offensive. Right. That's a new thing in America, and it means we're not listening to each other. We're not coming to any kind of bipartisan consensus, and this is leading to a polarization in the country, which I don't know about you, but I don't. I've never seen it this bad. I've never seen it this bad, and yeah. I think there's a lot of factors contributing to this. Um, I just watched what Ellen said a few weeks ago, which was a very reasonable thing she said about sitting with President Bush, and she just got destroyed exactly. for saying a very reasonable Ridiculous. thing. And I think one of the reasons that that is is that technology um, has begun to feed us only what we believe in as well. So not only do we only True. associate personally with people who agree with us, but because of what we click on, we're getting more of what we click on. It's so, self-reinforcing. Right, all yeah. the time. But in, to be specific, then I'm going to challenge you on something. Be yeah. specific. If someone said to you, hey, look, I do, agree, I do feel like what Ed said. I don't feel like the economy is working for me. Or I'm a young person. Yeah. I've come out of a pretty liberal university. Yeah. Um, I look at this, the, the, I look at wage growth prior to, the, to recent, you know, prior yeah, to the yeah. last year. So wage yeah. growth was terrible in yeah. our country. 
um, statistically anyway, since the 70s and even the 50s. Recently, no, 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 no. So re- this is... <laughs> recently it has I'm going to challenge you on that one okay. too. I wrote a book not long ago that uh, I wish people would, you know, it's, okay. a, it's a picture book actually. It's just, okay. it's called, uh, um, it's, it's called, um, it's getting better all the time. Okay. And it's really a history of the last hundred years. Everything from what's happened with health, Okay. to the environment, to incomes, to the things we can afford, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, every, you know, every records that are reached. And the, the conclusion is undeniable, undeniable. Okay. The average poor person today has a higher life, living standard than the average middle class person 50 years ago. Okay. The average poor person actually in some ways has a higher living standard than even wealthy people. Than, you know, uh, what's, you that, th- what's that living standard measured by? By, th- by life expectancy, by health, okay. by uh, by the things that you can buy. I mean, my goodness, you know, uh, you have a cell phone. Everyone has a cell phone. Everyone's mm-hmm. listening to this. That cell phone has more computing power than every computer that was used during World War II. Well, I don't think most people would argue, Steve, that um, technology has advanced um, quality of life for people. Right. But I but I challenge you on that because I think it's I think the statistics will show now that, for example, new home buyers. So I look at someone like my sister who's 30 years old, her mm-hmm. husband's in his mid-30s, they make yeah. a great living, they live in California, they can't afford to buy a home. Yeah. Whereas uh, many, many years ago, a single income family yeah. could own a home in this country. Well, that's a fair enough. Let me give you a statistic. Yeah. Top 1% in 1979 earned 12% of all market income. In 2016, they earned 20% Wait, of all market income. Do that one again. Okay. Top 1% in 1979, the, the top earners earned 12% of all market income that was earned. In 2016, it's 20%. So it's almost double. Of all the what? Market income. Income in the country. Oh, the income, yeah. Okay. Okay, but so what? You know, look, that, I think that's a bogus statistic. Okay. Because you know what? We have Mark Zuckerberg. We have, uh, you know, Bill Gates. We have, uh, you know, all of these billionaires like Warren Buffett. But the, but the fact that they, this is my whole point, mm-hmm. the fact that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and, and uh, you know, uh, Zuckerberg mm-hmm. have billions and billions of dollars doesn't make you or me poorer. I mean, think about the people who benefited from everything. Mm-hmm. People say, oh my God, the, you know, the founder of Facebook has, you know, let's say he, you know, Zuckerberg's wealth is 30, 40 billion dollars. Well, first of all, think of all the people that he's, he's made into millionaires because of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Number two, you know, a billion people around the globe use Facebook. Nobody puts a gun to your head and says you have to use Facebook, right? right? And uh, you know, I just I hate this idea. Just because one person gets wealthy doesn't. It's not a zero sum game. It's not like because you have more, I get less. No, it's an additive game. You're wealthy because you've added to the economy. You've helped other people. Google is a good example. I mean, when I first came to Washington, I wrote a column recently on this. I, my first job was literally warehousing myself in the Library of Congress to find statistics for the, you know, and I'd literally spend hours and hours trying. Now, literally, I go to Google, and three seconds I can find out the answer to things that Mm -hmm. it took me, you know, three days to find. Sure. And you know what? You know what Google charges me for that? Mm Zero. Zero. Right. <laughs> That's no, pretty amazing. No, I do think it's amazing. I think there's yeah, two. I think there's two. I, so and health, by the right. way. Look at the Look, what what if uh, God forbid that you or I were mm-hmm. diagnosed with cancer? Mm-hmm. The survival rates from cancer today are you know uh, almost seventy percent right. versus even thirty or forty years ago. You know, if you got a cancer diagnosis, you it was like a death sentence. Right. So 
a lot of the things we just take for granted that are so much better now. Now my premise is, and you may disagree with this, mm -hmm. this is the single greatest time to ever be alive. Yes. And and I would add to that, we are living in the greatest place to be alive. Now yes. of course we I mean by that right. our country, you know, where we right. have freedom and liberty. And you got me going here, I want to make one other point. Yeah. I do hear the grousing, you know, you know, well it's hard to get a home and we have mm -hmm. homeless people. And I'm not saying there aren't problems mm -hmm. in this country. It, but and, and people want to move towards socialism. Whenever I give speeches, and I know you give mm -hmm. a lot of speeches yourself, I talk about freedom and, and free market capitalism mm -hmm. and the, the dangers of socialism. And what is so interesting to me is mm -hmm. the people who always come up to me after my speeches, you know who they are? Mm -hmm. They're people who actually came from socialist Places. countries. You're people right. who live behind East, you know, yep. the, 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 you know, the Berlin Wall in, in, in East Germany and people who didn't have freedom. And they'll come up to me and say, I came here right. because we have freedom, and now Americans are trying to give away those freedoms. They mm -hmm. said, we had government health care you know, in Romania. Yep. It wasn't very good. Right. Let's not have that in the United States. No, you're right, and I have a lot of friends in Canada. I travel there often, they're like, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, again, I'm not trying to tip my hand on where I agree. I'm trying I to take it. the devil's advocate it. position. Yeah. I'm, um, not, I'm saying, when I say you, yeah, I mean I know what you mean. A, a, right. kind of an attitude in America. Right. I think what people would argue, and I would also argue, yeah. is that I don't think there's any question that the world's better than it was 50 years ago. There's no question that medical science has improved, mm -hmm. technology's improved. I think what most people are saying is if I'm in the middle, my financial life, the way we live, the fact that both of us need to produce an income now, that it is harder to own a home in this country, that savings rates are, the average American has 4,000 bucks saved. Right? Yeah, the average, that's a problem. The average individual, individual income is $31,000 a year. The top 1%, individual, not household, yeah, yeah. okay? The individual income is $31,000, and the average 1% is at 1.5 million. There's an income gap, it's, it's expanded. We could argue, and I, by the way, I, I think that, I don't think most people, well, they may, you may be right, most people may think, well, when one person's getting richer, I'm getting poorer. That's and I certainly, I certainly that's don't wrong. believe that's yeah. true. I wanna take another angle yeah. on capitalism for you for a minute, outside of the economy. And that is, I've been reading a lot about this lately, and maybe you agree with this. Because I don't even by think way, we really- say that Capitalism, Right. Is, is not a good term. Right. <laughs> because people are against capitalism. capitalism. So I like to use the free enterprise system or free market capitalism because, uh, you know, capitalism people think that of, uh, you know, of Marxism and, you know, that just capitalism means, you know, you're holding down people to get ahead and Correct. so on. So I, I, good point. And I think, I think one thing that the conservative terminology side. Terminology matters. I think the conservative side of most arguments. Um, they're terrible at phraseology. We are, um, and the left is great and, at and it. And the left is very good <laughs> at it. And I, I also think that, and we need, even in this dialogue, I think sometimes the conservative perspective sounds disconnected, sounds like it doesn't care. Yes. I think you know that. Yes. And it's something that really needs to be guarded against. Incidentally, my, one of my heroes in life, another hero was mm -hmm. Jack Kemp. Remember the, sure. great, the great congressman who uh, played a big role. And, mm -hmm. and he, Jack used to say, Nobody cares what you know until they know, until they know what you care. Right. What you care, and there's so much truth to that. If if you don't think I give a damn about you, you don't. Have, you're not going to listen to what I have to say. That's exactly right. And right? I think the Republicans have lost that debate they many have. years ago. They've lost that narrative. I want to give you one That's other. That's why I liked what Trump. One thing Trump did that I kind of liked mm -hmm. was he went into the inner cities and he and he'd say, look. Give us a try. You know, the right. people yeah. run Chicago or Newark or Cleveland mm -hmm. or Detroit, you know, they they haven't done so well. Why don't you try a different approach? Right. I thought it was wonderful that he made that effort as well. Um, I'm going to give you one other argument about capitalism because I don't even know that we are a capitalist society. I think we're, we're sort not. of modified capitalism. Yeah, right. We have a progressive tax rate system, which is essentially almost a socialist type tax rates. And I know you helped Trump with his tax plan, mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about in a minute. 
but having said that, one of the other things I've been reading about capitalism or the lack of regulation in capitalism, okay, is this idea that there becomes um, um, much more control, uh, almost monopoly type control. You referenced Google yeah. earlier. Um, people would argue that there's some danger that Google controls 80% of all the searches in the country. Um, be, uh, that uh, Facebook has somewhere between 70-80% of all social media. Um, get, get a couple stats, two corporations own 90% of all the beer we drink. Five banks control half of the nation's assets. A lot of data says once banks get over 50 billion, they become a little bit less efficient. Many states' health insurance markets, 80 or 90% are one or two companies. In Alabama, it's one company, almost 90%. High-speed internet, all local monopolies. Four players control the beef market. Um, uh, after a couple mergers, three companies will control 70% of the world's pesticide market. How do you feel about that, that there seems to be this contraction of um, control in, in the economy that we have now over some really important things, like a Google or an Amazon? Amazon makes it very difficult. They control who gets on their shelf. They make it very difficult for retailers to make a breakthrough mm -hmm. as well. Is that just part of the big eating the small and that's what you get in capitalism? Because people see that as well. Um, my view is that, you know, you. Once you get to be the king of the hill, mm -hmm. like a Google or mm -hmm. like an Amazon, and by the way, it ain't easy. You know, right. if it were easy, you know, I hear all these people say like, oh, you know, that we should, you know, we should uh, uh, break up these companies. I'm not in favor of that. As long as you can compete, as long as there's a competitive environment. One of my favorite books of all time mm -hmm. is called, um, and I want you to get it, okay? I'm okay. going to send it to you. Okay. Uh, it's called The Myth of the Robber Barons. Because right. remember, the whole antitrust stuff, that came in, uh, you know, in the, in the progressive era, mm -hmm. in the first part of the yep. 20th century. And there was this view that J.P. Morgan and John Rockefeller mm -hmm. and, and all these people, Henry Ford, were monopolists yep. and that they, you know, were hurting poor people. And in fact, the truth is, there's fewer and few people who's done more to build the United States than Johnny e. Rockefeller, Henry Ford. Okay. And I don't like the, the assault against success. It gets back yep. to the theme we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, I think my view about Google and Facebook, by the way, I hate, I hate Facebook's politics. I'm a conservative, they're right. a liberal. So, you know, they, but I still defend, I, my response to Facebook's politics is, I just don't have a Facebook account, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to use their product, nobody forces me to use it. Um, but I think, look, I, I, let's do this show 10 years from now. Okay, okay? fair enough, <laughs> I'd love to. In October of 2029, uh, right. you know, right. and I guarantee you Google will not be one of the biggest companies, mm -hmm. Facebook will not be one of the biggest companies, Amazon, you know, who knows, Amazon, you know, could go bankrupt. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's these com companies. I remember, by the way, in the financial, you know, mm -hmm. distress you know, of 2008, when you had these big banks within a matter of weeks, remember, they you remember that, they right. failed. Right. So um, I, don't, I don't want the government. I, I think you make a good point. I look at a blockbuster video, they didn't evolve. I, now exactly. Netflix dominates that market. So typically- One, one other thing, you know, I'm yeah. on the board of two startup companies yep. that are in the technology yep. industry. Talk about that for a second. And you know, we, both of the companies, you know, we hope, you know, they're startups, they're mm -hmm. always high risk when mm -hmm. you start up a new company, you've done that yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, one of the things we hope is, look, you know, we've started with maybe $5 million of capital that we raised. Mm -hmm. We hope to get to maybe $50 million valuation. Then you know what we want? We want Google to buy us. That's you right. Know? Sure. I mean, so the fact that you have the Googles and the Apples and the and the Amazons out there actually inspires new businesses okay. to start because you got somebody out there who can buy you out. Okay. Do Let's you talk, disagree with that? I, I'm not going to say if I agree or disagree. <laughs> okay. um, I didn't but convince I, you. But I, uh, but I will say, um, I'm going to ask you about a couple of things that I do think that are out there. I want to talk about okay. the tax plan that, uh, yeah. that you helped um, 
produced for President Trump the 2016 tax plan. Is it 2016, I guess? We passed it, passed it December 22nd, 2017. Okay, 2017. <laughs> okay. And, um, I, you know, I read often, uh, most people would say, well, the majority of those cuts went to corporations. Yes. And although wage growth has spiked, data shows that a lot of those corporations took that extra money, bought back their own stock, yeah. that it didn't necessarily trickle down necessarily to the employees. Yeah. That's something that you're going to hear. Yep. Facts do support that that's true to some extent. So, How do you feel about uh, that? First of all, the tax cut itself, when mm. we talked to Donald Trump about mm. it back four, now four years ago, Larry Kudlow and I, we recommended a reduction in the business tax rate because we believe that was the biggest problem with the economy. Mm. Now, look, you just get this from a competitive standpoint. The United States had a 40% tax rate on our businesses, small businesses and large corporations. The rest of the world was down at about 20%. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they kept going down, 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 down. Mm -hmm. And we had seen, you know, we had seen major American companies that were involved in what were called inversions, where they mm -hmm. were actually giving up their US citizenship and moving to Canada mm -hmm. or Mexico or China or Ireland. Mm -hmm. Ireland has the lowest yep. tax rate. So we told Trump, Look, this is hurting, uh, this is not putting America first. And you know? a lot of Democrats believed that as well. They did, actually. Right. We right. got, you know, unfortunately, none of them were for our right. bill. But the point is, we wanted to make America, the whole idea was, how do we make American companies competitive in a global economy? Mm -hmm. You know, this is a global world. There's no putting the genie back right. in that battle, right? And so the idea was, let's get the rates down so we're in the game. And Trump loved that idea. By the way, he was the one who insisted, not just for big corporations, but mm -hmm. also for, there's 26 million small businesses in this country. Yeah. 26 million. Let's right. make sure every man and woman who runs a business gets this lower rate. Now, I'm not gonna apologize for that because mm -hmm. I actually think it's been a big success. One of the things that's happened is we're sucking capital now from the rest of the world into the United States. Sure. We're the it country right now. Mm -hmm. Japan isn't growing. Mm -hmm. Germany has been in a recession. Europe is flatlined. China's economy is falling. You know, we're doing really well relative to the rest of the world. And mm -hmm. I would argue as a competitive you know, point of view, by cutting those rates, we made America a more uh, you know, attractive place to invest in. Some people would argue, though, the, that that has been true. We've seen that happen. Uh, but having said that, that, that this was going to be paid for with GDP growth and that the deficit is growing as well and that that's not a very conservative principle. All right, principle. I'm going to give you a statistic. Okay. okay. You ready for this okay. one? So in 2019, uh, this today when we talk, it's what, about October mm -hmm. 22nd. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, so we now, the fiscal year for 2019 ended on September 30th. Mm -hmm. So we now know what were the numbers for right. 2019. Federal tax receipts, the collections into the federal treasury in 2019, adjusted for inflation, were the highest they've ever been in American history. Okay. Now, what that tells me, it, it, but then you're saying, well, why do we have a trillion dollar budget deficit? Yes. And what that tells me is we do not have a revenue problem. Our revenues are just fine. We have an overspending problem. Mm -hmm. And I will blame both the Republicans and the Democrats for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Republicans want to spend more money on the military. The Democrats want to spend more money on social programs. So what did we do? We mm -hmm. spent more money on both. Both, right. And that's why we have a deficit. Okay. And um, are you good with this? Are we good that we keep going on a few of these things? Is this okay? Okay. I love it. Okay, go, I love go, it. I love go, it. Go. I love it. <laughs> um, I have friends in the know, I won't say who they are, that think they're in the know, that say this is not, an, uh, you know, the Democrats will tell you this is an Obama economy. Mm -hmm. And Trump then immediately took credit for the economy when it was going well after his plan was yeah. instituted. And even prior yeah. to that plan being put in place, he was too, because let's be honest, most of this stuff's just happening now, as you said. I have a lot of friends that say it's neither, it's a Fed economy. A Fed economy. A Fed economy. Right. That this has been a quantitative easing, this has been a printing money economy, and that a, that neither one of these two should be taking credit for anything that's happened in the economy. And secondly, that if a recession does come, 
and I'd like your opinion about this. It, do you see one coming the next two to four years as most people in your position seem to be predicting? That perhaps it could be a much, is a long question, a much more extended recession, maybe not as deep, but could be longer because there's not a whole lot the Fed could do to help this time because it's all been done. So, uh, you know, I've been in the policy game now for 35 years. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I do, economic policy. Mm -hmm. So I clearly don't agree with this idea that, oh, it doesn't really matter who the president is, but policy matters. You know, when you make policy shifts, it makes a big difference. I mean, mm -hmm. I lived through what I call the three stooges of the American presidency, Richard Nixon, Jerry Ford, and Jimmy Carter. I mean, it just didn't get much worse than mm -hmm. that, right? And, you know, by, by the way, you know, these are pretty amazing statistics. I think mm -hmm. you know them, but uh, people are surprised when I say mm -hmm. that. From 1968 through 1982, which was a 14, 15 year period, adjusted for inflation, the stock market lost 62% of its value. Wow. 62% of its value. Wow. But why? We had high inflation, we had high tax rates, we just, we were doing everything wrong. Mm -hmm. A big welfare state we'd build up, and the way I like to put it, I'm a little biased folks, but I'll just say it, mm -hmm. The clouds dispersed, the sun came out, and God gave America Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and what did Reagan come in? He came in, cut taxes, cut regulation, restored sound money, expanded trade, and we had one of the biggest booms in the history of the country. And by the way, it, uh, just so people don't think I'm you know, some kind of partisan, mm -hmm. the economy boomed under Reagan. It grew even faster under Bill Clinton. Right. Bill Clinton was a genuine new Democrat. Right. I mean, think, can you think of any of these Democrats on the stage today who would say the era of big government is over? No. And would any of them cut the capital gains tax? No. Would any of them you know, promote free trade and, and that thing? We had the biggest retraction of government spending under Bill Clinton right. since Harry Truman was president. So my point is mm -hmm. that um, you know when you get things right, things go well. I mean, mm -hmm. we and and then you know I I believe that the Obama you know um, recovery. I don't believe this is just a fact. It was the weakest recovery we had from a recession since the end of World War II. And Trump capitalized that. People, a lot of people would say, gee, why are people voting for Donald Trump? Everything's so good in America. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Yeah, if you lived here in, you know, uh, in Laguna Beach, California, or lived in Hollywood, if you lived in Silicon Valley, if you lived in where I live, the mm -hmm. swamp of Washington, D.C., or Wall Street, things were going great. Mm -hmm. Things. But you know, when, when I was on that presidential campaign, yeah. we went to, we would go to places like Erie, Pennsylvania, and we'd go to mm -hmm. Charleston, West Virginia, and we'd go to Frankfurt, Kentucky, and we would go to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, I'd talk to the folks, and mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, how's that Obama recovery going for you? You mm -hmm. know what they'd say? Mm -hmm. What recovery are you talking about? There is no recovery here in Erie, Pennsylvania, or, you know, Flint, Michigan. So there were whole areas left behind. I feel kind of proud. I think the country is doing better now. We're, you know what? We're going to know the answer to this in one year. Yeah, you know, because people do, are going to decide. So you think that uh, a recession could be pending, but you think it has something to do with who gets elected into the... Well, the, look, at any point in time, as you know, mm -hmm. there's always a 15 or 20% mm -hmm. chance in the next year or two. So when you ask me, is there going to be a recession in the next three years? There's probably a 50-50 chance, okay. you know, I mean, you know, because the economies do go through cycles. There's all sorts of things that could happen. Uh, but I'm pretty confident. I think this is a good economy. We, if we can get this trade deal done with China, yeah. it's a mini deal. It's not right. a great deal. But I think that'll take a lot of the pressure off because mm -hmm. one of the things I'm worried about right now is that there's not enough uh, capital spending by businesses. Now, in terms of the Fed, I mean, this is an amazing I can't quite, I have to confess, I can't quite figure this out. Yeah. I mean, did you ever think we'd have an era of negative interest rates? No. I mean, it, that's no. insane. Insane. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. It's, it's crazy. Right. I mean, you can, who buys, a, even like here in the US, 
who buys a 30-year treasury bill right. at a 2% interest rate? <laughs> Nobody. I mean. I mean, do you think the next 30 years we're going to have less than 2% inflation? Uh, yes. And by the way, when you, if folks, have more. When you buy right. a negative interest right. rate bond, what you're saying is that the, you know, you're paying the government right. to hold on to your money. Right. You'd be better off right. taking your money, putting it in a suitcase, and burying it in your back. 100%. 100%. <laughs> What's going on here? So I have to say, I'm mystified by this, but right. one of the things I've advised the Trump administration to do, I had a Wall Street Journal article about this a few weeks weeks ago. My God, as long as we got 2% interest rates, we should be issuing 50, 100 year bonds oh. and locking in these mm. low interest rates mm. forever. Because mm. I, and I've been wrong, uh, I don't always admit when I'm wrong, but I've been wrong. Every speech I've given for the last 10 years, I say, well, interest rates can't go any lower. And they keep Incredible. going lower. Right, know? incredible. I right. mean, um, when you and I were, I don't know right. exactly how right. old you are, I'm almost 60. Right. When I was in high school, the mortgage interest rate was almost 20%. Right. I lived through Now those you can days. get a 3.5% yeah. mortgage it's rate. It's unbelievable. I know, so. it's unbelievable. So okay, so so um, I want to I want to give you a couple things. I, I wonder why there's this perception in the country. One of the things that does tweak me is just when facts aren't told accurately. So there's this notion, and as you know, that that uh, the rich aren't paying their fair share. Yeah. That uh, you know that somehow the the top one percent um, somehow avoids taxation, which we both know isn't true. The top one percent, you know the stats better yep. than I do. They pay forty percent of the income tax. I mean, that's almost. incredible. They pay almost forty percent of the income, and they earn about twenty-one percent of that income. So they earn twenty-one yeah. percent of it, but they pay forty percent of the right. tax revenue. So that's it's just right. an absolute untruth that the top don't pay their fair share. And I want to add another statistic. And the, and the bottom fifty percent pay no federal income taxes. They, yeah, they pay you know two maybe two percent right. or something right. like that. They pay almost nothing. So it's a highly progressive system. Right. Now I hear all this talk, oh let's go back to the golden age when we had 70 and 80, 90 percent mm -hmm. tax rates. Well you know, you know what? This will surprise a lot of your viewers and listeners. Mm -hmm. Back then the rich actually paid a smaller share of the income mm -hmm. tax than they do now. Okay. You know why? No. Because rich people have tax accounts and they they didn't pay those rates. What I'm for mm -hmm. is the flat tax. Right. No deductions, no loopholes, no special interest provision. You can't hide your money from the IRS. Everybody pays a rate. I don't know if it's 17 or 18 percent. If you're a family of four, your first $30,000 of income is tax-free. You fill out your tax form on a tax. I mean, I'm not a rich guy. I'm not rich. You know, I'm doing pretty well, but I'm not rich. I had the 200-page tax return. I know. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> it's why has that never gained traction? Is that because there would be a reduction for the top rate? I'll tell you why. Okay. Because do you think anybody in Washington wants a flat tax? All the power, we talk about the swamp. Mm. The tax code is the swamp. Right. It's all tax attorneys and tax lawyers. I mean, why would you come to be lobbyists? Do you think a lobbyist wants a flat tax? So if you feel strongly about that, you have Trump's ear. Why is that not something he'd go run on? Well, you know, we, we, tr we tried to sell him on it. And, you know, we, that's why we wanted to bring the rates down. Lower. You right. know, I mean, this is why, look, if, ladies and gentlemen, if you reintroduce 50, 60, 70, 80% tax rates, I guarantee you, within three years, you're going to have so many loopholes okay. in that tax code. I mean, it's just the natural course of events. Right. And that's the worst tax system of all. I want a low rate with, with a broad base. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the left wants a high rate. And, and by the way, some of people just say, we want to be punitive. We don't even care if it raises revenue. We just want to sock the rich. I, I have a problem with that. Right. Who does that help? It, it's, it's, I, I, I'm going to leave that alone. But I don't think <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, who does that help? What do you feel about universal basic income from Mr. Yang? People are looking at that, um, they like it. How do you feel about that? You know, my big, I'm not totally against it. Wow, but, wow. But, but I, what, I, what worries me is um, that it becomes a disincentive to work. Look, what we need, 
Americans to do is work. One of the problems we had in the Obama years, we still have in the Trump years, we got a lot of Americans on the sidelines mm -hmm. who could be working and should be working. Mm -hmm. and, and look, people who work longer have longer life. Work is a good thing, yeah. actually. Right. Work gives you a self-worth. Mm. It expands your, people retire actually die at a younger age than people who continue to work. Mm. So, you know, work gives you a purpose in life, I think. Don't you agree do. with that? Absolutely. And so, you know, I don't want people on the sideline. I don't want the government giving people, you know, I, I do think, look, we're a rich country. People should be able to have health care. We want housing for everyone mm. and so on. But I don't want to disincentivize people to work. That's why I don't want ta high tax rates. That's why I don't want big welfare uh, giveaways. I do think, look, if you work 40 hours a week, you know, you should have a, guaranteed income, you know, and, and not necessarily the employer providing it that will will provide you a subsidy if you're working. You got to work, though. If you're sitting on the sidelines, no, we're not going to subsidize. Then how's that different than just raising the minimum wage? And why wouldn't you Because I'll tell you why. Okay. Because if you raise the minimum wage, mm -hmm. then the, all of the cost is borne by the employer. What's the employer going to do? You hire okay. people. If, if you're, you know, I always say, you know, $15, $16 on a minimum wage. I have two teenage boys. Mm. I love them to death. I don't always like them, but I love them. <laughs> and I always say, you know, but they, you'd be insane to pay these kids $15, $16 mm. now. I don't want to price people out of the work market. Do you remember the first job you had when I you do. were a kid? I do too. I was, I was working boy. in a little factory, a busboy. I was <laughs> working in a little factory filling orders, you know. And you learn a lot from your first job, sure. don't you? Mm -hmm. How to show up, how to be nice to your boss, how to, right. how to just be a, an employee. I don't want to price those jobs out of the market because the first job oftentimes is the most important job. You have. Well, and the consumer pays a price for that too. They do. Right? They're gonna, you're going to have a $7 So it, what I'm talking about is you let the market set the wages and if some people fall below what we would consider, you then know, you might be for wage, universal basic the government income. would subsidize. But you have to work. It has to be tied to work. That That is shocking and reasonable. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, well, by the way, that would, here's the thing. We already spend over a trillion dollars mm -hmm. in all these welfare programs. Mm -hmm. So we could easily do that but you're, with you're, the money we're already spending. But you're assuming, that's not how it works though, you're assuming that somehow there'd be a give and take. And exactly, we both know that's, and that's, not gonna that's, be that's the, the problem. Government programs aren't taken away. That's right. So <laughs> what I'm too. saying is, let's get rid of all the welfare programs. It'll be a grand just bargain, have a yeah, kind of a grand bargain. Right? I like it. Okay, a couple more things. Yeah. Because there is this good news, and I think you've made some really great points, that of which is mainly drowned out by the chaos and noise that we hear out of the executive branch and the media that covers the executive branch. Yep. And so I've heard you say that you're obviously you're a huge supporter of President Trump. Do you agree that to some extent that if we could quiet some of this noise that perhaps it would be healthier for the country, um, whether that be tweeting or some of the comments? Can you make a comment about that? If you have a criticism, if you're willing to offer one up of the thousands of things you love about the president, the economy, where it's going, what is one thing you, you'd say, I kind of wish this didn't exist? There's got to be I something. I think, you know, I've told the president this, and he doesn't mm -hmm. like to hear it, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, I want this president to be the president of all the people, mm -hmm. all the people. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be running a campaign mm -hmm. and you're, you know, going out and trying to get your, you know, your voters stirred up. And mm -hmm. I went to the rallies. They were a lot of fun. I mean, mm -hmm. they were amazing political events, I'm cultural sure. events. But, you know, then you're elected and be the, you don't represent just the people who voted for you. You represent all Americans. And I think if, if I have one criticism of Trump, it's that. Reach out to the people who didn't vote for you. Don't you know? Don't just always appeal to your base. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I would like to see more of that from Trump because I think he would be more effective that way. Mm. And I think the tweeting. I, one worry I have is there is chaos, and the, there's mm. always chaos. Trump is almost feeds on chaos. Yeah. And I do worry the American people are just getting tired fatigue. of it. Fatigue. You know, fatigue. Right. Yeah. Trump fatigue. And I worry about. It. I told the president. You know. 
stop tweeting so much. You don't have to comment on everything that happens every moment mm -hmm. of the day. And unless you're going to tweet on me, then you can. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Then you can right. do that. And he's done that a few right. times, and my book sales go mm -hmm. up when he does. But uh, you know, I, I agree with that. I think he's he is sometimes his own worst enemy. It Don't seems an awful lot of the time. And a yeah. couple more questions regarding <laughs> that. Tell us something about him. So there are people watching this that are fans of his. And there's people here that, as you know, aren't his fans. Well, tell one, us, tell a couple us, things. Yeah, I mean, so what, do we know, you know, what do you know about him we don't that is a, okay. an interesting It's a great fact. question. So yeah. um, I have a book called Trumponomics that I wrote yeah. with my friend Art Laffer we'll put up a on the couple screen. years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in the first couple chapters are maybe, the, I think, the most interesting. It's just about how we met Trump and how mm -hmm. we got to work for him and what he's like to work for. And, you know, I... I say in the book that when I first met Trump, which was, uh, remember there were like 15 Republicans running for president. I think I knew 14 of them. I knew Jeb right. Bush and I knew, uh, knew you know, John probably. Kasich and I know Marco Rubio and I knew, knew Dr. Penn Carson. The only one I had never met was Donald J. You're Trump. You're kidding and me. And so, you know, we get a call to, would you like to meet with Trump? And, you know, I was, I was curious about him because mm. there was something going on in this country mm. and I, you know, it surprised me as much as it did anybody. Mm. So we went in in about January of 2016 and sat down with Trump and, you know, we went, went up the escalator, up the Trump Tower, mm. went up to, and, and first of all, I was impressed by the fact that all the people around him, you know, his secretaries and his assistants and the people, they loved the guy, you know, and you right. can tell something about, you know, a person mm -hmm. by how they treat the people that work for them. Okay. And I was impressed by that. And then we spent about an hour in the room with him and had a great conversation. And we, he likes to argue, you know, which yeah. I like to do too. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, I don't agree with you on this, blah, 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 you know, but we, it was, and I, I got to tell you, I walked out of that room and I had stars in my eyes. I was like, wow, this guy is going to be the next president of the United States. And I don't know what it is. You know, what? I think, you know, I've always said there were three presidents in my lifetime who had the kind of that X factor that mm -hmm. just connects with people. Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. The mm -hmm. three of them, you know, I've been in politics. When they mm -hmm. walked in a room, they lit up the room. You know, the but Trump sort of has that himself too, mm -hmm. that X factor. And the other thing I'd say about him is that, you know, and I, I say this as a joke, you know, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it gets me, you know, 95% of politicians you're gonna meet are wonderful people in public and jerks in private. Mm. Trump is a jerk in public and a wonderful person in private. And mm. it really, I mean, when you meet him personally, he could not be a more charming, more, and he's always come to my personal, I consider him a personal friend because mm -hmm. he's, he's always been really good to me. So he's, he's a good man. He's, the other thing I'll say about him, we were mm. talking about this off the camera, mm. the guy's the Energizer Bunny. I mean, I've never seen anybody with more energy than Donald mm -hmm. Trump. And he's, how old is he? He's like 70-something. 73, 70s, yeah. And, you know, I, he was running circles around me, you know. And mm -hmm. we'd, we'd do three or four events a day, and, and he's just always going. You know, he called me up at 1.30 in the morning. Hey, Steve, what are you doing? Uh, sir, I'm sleeping. <laughs> like most right? people are. Right. You know? So I, I, I think he about four or five hours of sleep. One of the things, and I obviously I've seen that. He's a, he's a hoss. He works hard. One of the things that I've observed about you and most people that, I consider to be people I trust with decision making, they don't seem all that concerned with what people perceive them as. In other words, they're more concerned with what they stand for, what they believe in, than they are necessarily, even today, you know, this, that I agree with everything you say or the audience does. I think it's an odd thing in him. It appears that he cares so deeply about these perceptions. He does. It, it feels like, candidly, like an emotional weakness of his, that he cares so deeply about uh, people's opinions all the time. I know. And so it's a, you know, look, every, it, look, every great leader throughout history, with mm. a few exceptions, ha would have some 
fatal flaws, sure. right? Yeah. And that's his fatal flaw. I mean, a Shakespearean mm -hmm. you know, flaw. And you know, Trump has that Shakespearean flaw. And I think he's, in a lot of ways, he's a great business leader. I think he's been a good president. But you're right, I think he cares way too much about what people think about him. Mm -hmm. And he's very thin-skinned. You know, when I see, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm on TV, you know, eight out of 10 things I'll say about him are positive. Mm -hmm. But when I go see him, what do you think he remembers? Right. The two out of 10 things I say that it, But know. ironically, that's what makes you believable in my opinion. Yeah. What makes you believable and relatable is that not everything is perfect all the time when you're describing it, which is my last question. And I want to make sure, by the way, everyone knows about the crypto market yeah, that you're involved with because you're involved with a company. Yeah. And then just tell us your overall feeling about this cryptocurrency economy that started that 99.9% .9 of the people in the world have no understanding of, they frankly, know, including, including me, who is an actual investor yeah. in a few of these places. So I'm glad we spent some, right. you know, left some time to talk about this. So mm. I, I'm a big believer. I think it's the next big thing. You do? You know, I really do. I think, the, the, you know, because of the blockchain, almost all transactions in the future will mm. be done via electronic transfers of funding mm. and so on. And I, I think there are two big advantages to uh, 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 crypto or what I call kind of digital mm. currencies. Um, and, and we think we've got a great product that fracks. Number one um, is privacy. You know, why should the government have a monopoly on money? You know, why not have private monies? This, by the way, this freaks out people in Washington. The people at the Federal Reserve Board are freaked out about it. The SEC is freaked out about it. The Commodities Future Trading Corporation, mm. you know, the Treasury Department. They don't want it. They want to maintain their monopoly over money. I like the idea of having private competitors to government money because, for one thing, I think it keeps them honest. Uh, and so there's that. You'll have privacy. It won't, you can make transactions with a cryptocurrency like a FRAX without the government knowing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. and, and But people say, oh, well, that just means drug runners and criminals are going to use it. No. 99.95% of the people are going to use this are law-abiding people who just you know, I'm kind of libertarian. I don't want the yep. big brother knowing what I'm doing. So that's one advantage. The second advantage is that because we have a what we think is a very effective um, digital currency, by the way, our currency called FRAX, F-R-A-X, will be tied in value to the dollar. So one FRAX will be $1. And, yep. and, and there are other, you know, there's this one big one called Libra. I don't know if yes. you've heard about this yes. one. This is Facebook's yes. big initiative. It yes. hasn't gone so well right. in the last few months. Right. Business companies have been dropping out of it. But they, they're linking their, their um, currency, their Libra, to a basket of other you know, currencies. currencies. We, think that's, we think the dollar is more stable. So the, the advantage of this is that the transaction costs of using a cryptocurrency like a FRAX are much smaller than they are if you use a credit card or use PayPal or you know, whatever. And you can't use a dollar bill in an electronic. Right. So we think the transaction costs, now somebody making $100 of purchases, that's not gonna be a big mm -hmm. deal. But if you're talking about millions of dollars of purchases, that saving of one or two or 3% mm -hmm. is significant. Okay, in a global economy too. Yeah. Speaking of that, two more questions. Uh, China. You mentioned China earlier, and if I don't ask about it, people will be frustrated. Clearly, it looks like this mini deal is being struck that is probably to our benefit. I think even a lot of Democrats are, are excited about the fact that he's taken this on. What about the criticism that as we've made a few of these deals, although they've been wins, that we are a partner in a global economy, which seems to be in a recession, the global economy, that um, there's this um, ancillary damage that's been done to our relationship with many of these countries 
where we have struck deals that are in our favor, but maybe the long-term relationship with even countries that are allies of ours isn't so favorable. How do you feel well, about that? Well, there's a couple points. Number, number one, China is an, a nemesis. They are mm -hmm. a menace right now. I mean, mm -hmm. and I don't say that with any joy. I mean, for 30 years after Mao died, Mao was one of the greatest villains who ever mm -hmm. you know, stepped on the planet. He killed tens of millions of his own people. But once they moved from communism, and they moved towards, you know, they, they mm. back in the late 70s, they moved towards a more free enterprise, free market type. Not entirely, but they moved mm. in that direction. And then you had one of the great, you know, things that ever happened in history with, the, you know, literally half a billion people moved out of poverty. They became a middle class country in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. So it was a great success story. But in the last seven or eight years, they've moved in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Look what's happening with uh, in Hong Kong, you know, mm -hmm. where they're trying to, you know, I think the people's quote liberation argument, liberators, they're not mm -hmm. liberators, you know, is going to move into Hong Kong. Look what they're doing in terms of, uh, you know, they're building up their military in a very aggressive way, circa Japan 1939. So I think Trump deserves a lot of credit for calling them out and saying, wait a minute, these are no longer friends or allies. This mm. is a, this country is an, is an adversarial uh, power. Um, I also think that Trump did the right thing in basically saying, look, we can't go on. We were in an abusive relationship with China. I mean, we've opened up for four, 30 years, we opened up our markets to them. They have never opened up their markets mm -hmm. to us. Now, I'm a free trader. I believe in free trade. But you know, I remember that meeting we had that I was talking mm -hmm. about with Trump. He said, you know, look, I believe in free trade, but it's got to be a level playing field. And it's not a level playing field. Mm -hmm. And it was one thing when China was a four or five billion trillion dollar economy. Now they're what, 14. Mm -hmm. You know, they're a big boy now. They've got to play by the rules and they won't unless Trump uses the leverage that he has to get them to do it. You know, has he been successful so far? Mm, mm -hmm. You know, it's tough. I mean, I think he's fighting the right fight with China. Uh, and Trump used to say to me, look, we can't trade with China, we sneeze. If they can't trade with us, they catch pneumonia. And there's a lot of truth to that. They need our consumer market. Mm -hmm. um, so now, you pointed to, a, I think, a strategic mistake that he has made. Mm -hmm. One of the great lessons of history is you don't fight a multi-front war. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the right. problems you know, the Germans made many times. So, you don't pick a fight with everybody at the same time. time. And I think, you know, going after, you know, uh, Canada and Mexico and the Europeans, by mm. the way, you know, he has some legitimate grief, you know, mm. gripes with mm. the Europeans. They don't always play by the rules either. But I think it would have been a much better situation. If, what we need to do, in my opinion, is isolate China, China, right? Mm. You, you agree yeah, with I that? agree. Yeah, and I, I, I wish he would do that. I, we got to pass, Nancy Pelosi, if you're watching this, pass the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. That would be a big plus for the world economy. Uh, but this is an unknown. This is the one big unknown, whether Trump can pull this off. The Chinese, they're patient people. They mm -hmm. may, their economy is getting rocked by these terrorists, but they may just say, we're going to wait out Trump. I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope you're wrong, too. Last question. There's yeah. an election coming. And um, there one, is. yeah, that's what, that's what I'm told. <laughs> and one, whether I think I know who you think is going to win and who you want to win, but I want you to talk about this finally. And it's something because you're involved in the media. I've, I watched you on Fox the other night. I've seen you on CNN. Um, so these are colleagues of yours to some extent. One of the things that frustrates me the most, and this is not political left or right, is the um, the bias in the media. Obviously, Trump's got this unbelievable contentious uh, relationship. He calls the, the liberal media a partner of the Democrats. And, and some would argue that some at Fox News are partners of the Republicans. I have no problem with someone like Sean Hannity being a, an advocate and a biased person for a more conservative viewpoint. I think he's transparent about that. I don't think he pretends to be down the middle. And I don't think he pretends to be in the news business. I think he pretends to be in the editorial business. My frustration is when I see people 
on certain channels that pretend to be in the middle, pretend to be news people that we know are biased, and then I see these same people hosting debates. So they're, they're narrators of debates, and we know going in, and the more and more I'm hearing the phraseology of even the questions in these debates, they're skewed with a bias towards them. Just talk to the audience from your perspective as they start watching this coverage, because for most people they're watching it a little bit, but over the next five, six, seven months, the vast majority of Americans are gonna start getting their news through these cameras and through their phone. What would you tell them about what they're seeing being reported? Is, is, do you agree that there's a bias in almost all the reporting they're, they're is seeing it, is nowadays? Is that a trick question? Yeah. I mean, of course there is. I mean, you know, I, I spent two years, uh, the last two years until recently with CNN, you mm -hmm. know, fake news. And look, it was the hate Trump network. I mean, literally 95% mm -hmm. of the guests that they would come mm -hmm. on would trash. I mean, just turn it on any time and look, it's mm -hmm. all trashing Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, hour after hour after hour. It's, by the way, that's a tragedy to me. I love Ted Turner's idea, mm -hmm. you know, what, what CNN was supposed to be. Remember when yes. he's a 24-hour news, news network, network where he could actually find out what's happening in the world. I just want to inject one thing. The yeah. people listening to this would probably go, I agree with you. And you know what that's been? That's been a response to what Fox did to well, Barack that may Obama. Be true. Well, except, you know, look, uh, uh, Roger Ailes uh, was a genius. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that there's this um, Netflix thing sure. about him that makes him out like, and I, I don't know about his sexual mm -hmm. space, but I'm just saying, what he recognized is something we as conservatives have been c complaining about for 40 years, mm -hmm. which is that, yeah, you could watch three networks and they were all liberal. Mm -hmm. And he recognized, hey, there's 40% of the country that's conservative and they're not being served. And you know, he tapped into that market. Fox News is a conservative network and you know CNN and MSNBC are extremely liberal um, but I, I, I know this from being in the newsroom I spent 10 years at the Wall Street Journal most media most journalists are liberal just by mm -hmm. their orientation um, and so uh, what, what Trump did actually kind of effectively I think was and it, it drove the mainstream media crazy he did an around run around why you asked me why does he tweet so much right. partly because he feels yeah. like I can get he directly control, he controls to the, the narrative without the going through the yeah. media I, I do I just wish there were some network out there that just so when I turn, if I want to turn on the TV right mm -hmm. now, I just want to know what's going on in the world. Right. I don't want somebody's opinion yeah. about Trump or positive mm -hmm. or negative. What's mm -hmm. going on? What's going on with the stock market? What's going on? You know, da, da, da. And I think there's a market for that. I think it's too bad. The, um, the other thing I would say, you know, I, I think this is true about the schools too. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a public school, government school system because we want to teach people how to think, how they can be productive mm -hmm. and educated and informed citizens. Um, this is not, you know, uh, original to me, but I think it's so true. Now our schools don't treat, teach people how to think, but what to think. Mm -hmm. And the media does the same thing. They're not trying to present you with the evidence so you can make a decision. They're trying to tell you what you th should think, and I think people are getting sick of it. That's, don't you? I do, and that's why I think things like today are so valuable, and I want to do more of them. And again, everybody, next week. Well, you're, you're going to have my buddy. Uh, I'm going to uh, have your friend Austin on, Austin right, on. who's a different side of the aisle. And he actually, you would be surprised. He and I probably agree on 60%. I can't wait to tell him that you're open to universal basic income. <laughs> I think he's going to love that. But we get rid of the welfare well, we stuff. But I just want the audience to know, I'm glad we finished with that because I think, I don't, I don't believe that network exists. I don't believe Fox is fair and balanced and I certainly don't think CNN's down the middle. And I think MSNBC has raised their hand and said, look, we're out there left, right? I just, I don't appreciate- But who's what, in the middle today? That's my point. I don't think it exists. Yeah. And, I, and that's okay. That's okay because you know why CNN did it? Because it drives ratings. They watch Fox's yeah, ratings. Seen ratings they, well, theirs aren't very good, but that <laughs> could be too. argued because it's divided up Ever between the two. Ever since they lost me as a contributor, the ratings they just tanked, the right? Well, we know my ratings are going up because you're here today. So, Steve, thanks so much for today. Let's do it again. Sir. I, I enjoyed it, everybody. If you enjoyed it, remember next week you'll hear the other perspective.
If you, uh, if you get a chance, go buy Stephen's books if you want to hear more about his perspective. And make sure every day on Instagram you're following me in the Max Out 2-Minute Drill. I make a post every day, 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern, and I want to engage with you. You'll meet some of my guests. You can come see me speak, tickets to uh, events, my book, gear, ride on the jet with me, all kinds of cool stuff. We pick, and it's cool, and we pick a winner every yeah, single day. Cool. So all you gotta do is make a comment in the first two minutes, number one, or comment on other people's comments, start communicating, or just comment every day on every post. We pick winners at the end of the week or just engage with me every day. I'd love to hear more from you. God bless you and Max out. This is the Admired Show.